Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's very, I'm very glad to be back with you. Uh, I was very, very happy when I was called because I'm still in those starting stages of preaching. And so whenever I show up at a congregation and I leave, I'm like, are they ever going to call me again? <laughs> because you never know. So when I, I said, wow, I'm going. So I'm very glad to be back with you. And thank you. That is a personal support of yours for me. I'm forever grateful. Our sermon text today is the, from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses I like to read from 4 through 11. It reads, A man assembled together with them. He commanded that he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they have come together, they ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he has spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadily toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will will soon come uh, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, you say your people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lord, one knowledge, the lack of which might destroy a lot of us is the learners, the knowledge of not knowing and truly believing in Jesus Christ. 
We pray that you spare us this lack of knowledge. But you give us all the information, all knowledge to know your son and to believe in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I begin my sermon by quoting a few scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. This is the work of God. That you believe in him who he has sent. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And gives his life for the world. I will tell you of a decree. The Lord said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Case the son, case the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The reason I began with reading, with the readings of John 3:16 through 17, John 6:27 to 29, and Psalm 2, 7 through 12, is to attempt to explore the transcendence of Christianity, the total otherness of Christianity. My attempt today, brothers and sisters, is to say to believe the Son of God is an extraordinary work. It is a miracle. It is transcendent. It must not be taken for granted. It is absolutely beyond human power. It is impossible with men. It is extraordinary. Yet our Lord God is calling us to this extraordinary work to believe his son. 
Again, I read John 6, 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Thanks to God, our Father, that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is replete with teachings about what God does when he calls people to extraordinary work. The Bible teaches that when the Lord calls people to extraordinary works, works that transcend their human abilities, he puts on them the Holy Spirit to empower them to do such extraordinary supernatural work. However, there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, the law is selective, selecting a few men and women on whom he put his spirit to do extraordinary works. But in the New Testament, the law poured his spirit at the Pentecost in fulfillment of Joel 2, 28, through through 32. Let us share a few passages in the Old Testament that show that when God gave that God gives his power, his Holy Spirit when he calls to these work. Let's start with the construction of the tabernacle. In Exodus 31, 1 through 6, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Or, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohaliel, the son of Ahishamah, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded them, that I have commanded you. Second example, Moses and the seven elders of Israel. When Moses was overwhelmed in leading Israel, it is written in Numbers 11, starting from verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seven elders of the tribe of Israel, of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and I and let them take their stand there with you, and I will come down to talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. 
So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered seventy men of the elders of the of the people of Israel and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. As a point of transition, the Lord made a promise through the prophet Joel, written in Joel 2, 28, and I just stopped to 29. The Lord says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servant in those days, I will pour my, I will pour out my spirit. In our passage today, the disciple asked the Lord, Lord. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Our first point will be to define the kingdom of God from the biblical point as compared to the ethnic Israel or the Jewish point. By their question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples showed that they did not know the kingdom of God. John the Baptist had proclaimed repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said the kingdom is in your midst. If I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come to you. Luke eleven twenty. In spite of John's proclamation and the Lord's teaching, the disciples showed that they not, that they did not know the kingdom of God. A logical question that follows will be if Jesus' disciples did not know the kingdom of God, who does? Even yet, and a more important question is how important is the question of the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God and the gospel are inseparable. For sometimes the gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom of God. In John 11, in John 18, excuse me, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom 
is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servant who have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Pilate said then to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. R.C. Pro once says, there is no way we can understand the New Testament or the Old Testament without taking seriously the central theme, the central motif that draws together both Testaments, the Old and the New. And that central theme of the whole Bible is the theme of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came preaching, he echoed the same announcement that John has made by that John has made. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Sproul go on to say, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? You would tell me that the gospel has to do with the person and work of Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was how Paul and the apostles defined the gospel. But the first announcement of the gospel that came from John the Baptist and then from the lips of Jesus was that Jesus came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Central to his proclamation was the kingdom of God is in your midst. Sproul's definition is in perfect harmony with the Bible. But time would not allow us to explore much. So let us read a few passages in, in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 reads, As I look Thrones were placed, and the ancients of them took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him, and a thousand thousand served him. And, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the books were open. And I looked. Then because of the sound of the great words that a horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, 
Their dominion were, was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a short, for a season and a time. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Day and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. We shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, this is the kingdom of God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has put in, God has put eternity into man's heart. This is our guide. Yes, our wisdom as Christians. Taught by the words, taught by God through the Bible, Christians know that the kingdom of God is set in eternity. Christians know that the coronation of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, took place in eternity. In Daniel 7, I just read, the ancient of day is God the Father who took his seat at the coronation of his son. And the one like the son of man is Jesus coming before the father to be crowned for his eternal kingdom. The beast in Daniel 7 represent devouring powers or empires. Empires came and empires went. Babylon destroyed Persia. Persia destroyed Greece. Greece destroyed Greece was destroyed by Rome. But the kingdom of God is eternal. It shall not be destroyed. The kingdom of God is unlike anything history teaches us. Sometimes history can be cyclical. Everything moves in circle without an end. But the Bible does not teach us that. The Bible teaches that there is an end. Sometimes history is about the here and now. Whatever is, has been, and there is no end. But the Bible doesn't teach us that. The Bible teaches that there is an end. Therefore, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Starting from 24. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it's said, all things are put in subjection, it is plain 
that he is accept he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him then the son himself will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God will be all in all Therefore, it's written in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. The Lord said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see then that contrary to the disciples' limited view, the kingdom of God is eternal. It is cosmic, universal. Its king is a cosmic king. Revelation 19.16 says, On his robe and on his tie, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our second primary lesson from our text is that the disciples were, di were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hence, we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit for extraordinary works. The disciples have been with Jesus. He has taught them for years. Even John, in John 20, 22, Jesus says, or it is written there that Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But yet, in John 16, the Lord said to the disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We see in these verses how only the Holy Spirit empowers us to believe. Excuse me. An extraordinary nature, the extraordinary nature. To truly believe is further explained in Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus thought he believed until he met Jesus. The Lord said to him in John 3, starting from verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I said to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, I repeat that. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Our text today is about the Holy Spirit empowering people for ministry. But we must remember what the Lord says in Matthew 7. You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eyes and you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Ministers and ordinary people alike need to know the extraordinary work of believing Jesus. Ministers and ordinary people must highly esteem the extraordinary work to believe. 
for to do not do so might make the Holy Spirit's ministry of empowering Christians for the extraordinary works of believing Christ of no effect. Ministers who do not put the ultimate value on the extraordinary calling to first believe the Son of God may hear Jesus Christ saying to them, Are you a teacher in Israel and you do not know this? Brothers and sisters, when I preached before the leadership development team of our Presbytery for my licensure, one of his members asked me, Nathaniel, what is the one thing you want us to take from your sermon? I have come to realize that this question, his question, is for my instruction. Therefore, I point out this one thing that I pray you take with you, brothers and sisters. To believe is extraordinary. To believe in the Son of God is extraordinary. To believe Jesus Christ is a miracle. It is Christianity. It is the essence of Christianity. It is superior, supreme, transcendent, supernatural. Christianity is extraordinary. To believe the Son of God is a miracle. It must never be presumed, exhumed, or taken for granted. Let us be mindful of what our Lord says in Matthew 7 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, men will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. The disciples. The disciples taught the belief. Until they were on the Mount of Olives. In Gethsemane. With Jesus. There we are told, Jesus told them, in Matthew, according to Matthew 26, Jesus said, You will all fall away because of men this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the, sh and the flock will scatter. In verse 37, Peter says to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. But we learn later from verse 37. 
and following, we learn that the disciples fell asleep three times while Jesus was praying. Even worse, when the Lord was, was arrested, we read in verse 30, uh, 56, Then all the disciples left him and fled. But the story doesn't end there. Eleven of the disciples died for Jesus, except John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. What caused such a radical change in the disciples? What transformed them? In his sermon, Turning the World Outside Down, R.C. Pro gave three reasons. He said, the first mark the first that marked the transformation, their transformation, is the resurrection of Christ. They were eyewitness to the risen Savior and they saw the truth of Christ. And they saw the significance of the truth of Christ. And the importance of the truth of Christ. In other words, if I were to ask you in other words, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? Let me repeat this and get it right. He said, in other words, if you were to ask them, are you a Christian? They wouldn't have answered that question by saying, oh, sure. Oh, sure. I am an American. Or sure, I am civilized. They will say yes. And they will and they will understand what that meant. They will understand the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the cross. And then they will understand the significance of that truth. That it is not some abstract theoretical proposition. It touches the deepest core of human reality. It addresses the deepest problem of human existence. They saw the truth of the cross. They saw the truth of the significance of the cross. And they saw the importance of the cross. And so they who never compromised the cross. They believe the truth. They really believe it. And my beloved. No one who believes the gospel of Jesus, if they understand it at all, would rather die than to compromise it. How could you understand the gospel? How could you understand the gospel and compromise it? 
How could you understand the gospel and fall asleep? There was no compromising in these people. The second reason that Sproul gave is from their perspective, the disciples absolutely had nothing to lose. The apostle Paul says, whatever I have in this world, I count as dunk next to Christ. The disciples had nothing to lose once they understood the gospel. Most importantly, what transformed the disciples according to Sproul was the day of Pentecost. When they went up the mountain of ascension, the instruction that Jesus gave them was wait, tarry in Jerusalem, for you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Sproul concludes this way. He says, The Apostle Paul makes it clear in the New Testament that every person born of the Holy Spirit is also empowered by the Holy Ghost for ministry. So that each one of us who are in Christ today has the same power in us and for us at our disposal that was given to the disciples who became martyrs. So the final reason for, the transform, for this transformation was their empowerment from on high. That Christ gave them the command and the power to fulfill the command. And he has given the same thing to his church today. Let us conclude with some details in John 6. John 6 is critical because of what Jesus says there about what it means to believe. I want us to sense the confrontation between our law and the Jews in this passage. It follows after the feeding of 5,000. After Jesus fed them, they follow him. The reading is long, but I think it's an exercise we can bear. And all that I am attempting to do is for us to sense what happened here. So I will read from verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full, your full of the loaves. Do 
not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gave you the, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life for the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about this because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he say, how does he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus answered them. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
this is the bread. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one, so that one may eat of it and and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I said to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true blood. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on my Whoever feeds on me, he shall he will also live because of me. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples was grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who who betrayed him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned away and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Ascaron, Simon Ascaron, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This reading of John is one of the high sayings of Jesus. Indeed, it teaches us Utterly, the author of unfaithfulness to underestimate what it means to believe. 
Jesus fed 5,000 plus, and they all followed him. But when he taught them to believe and how to believe, they all fled, except 12 disciples, and one was the devil, a devil. So, only 11 actually stayed with Jesus, not by their own power, but because the Lord chose them. Brothers and sisters, there are three things I commend to your meditation. When Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the eternal word of life. Brothers and sisters, the greatest gift you or we can give the church of Christ. Even Christ, our whole Presbyterian church, is to say with the Apostle Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, are the, you have the eternal word of life. This is our vow. This is our confession. It must be our pride. Christians go nowhere but the church. May we stay in the church for the words of God, the words of eternal life is in the church of Christ. Second, what does it mean to eat the flesh of Christ and to drink his blood? It means to believe. St. Augustine says, believe and you have eaten. Yes, believe, and you have eaten. This is in accord with what Peter said. Lord, we have believed. And the last thing. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus said, did I not choose you? Brothers and sisters, our Lord is telling you today, did I not choose you? To be a Christian is to be chosen by the Father. No one is a born Christian. David said in sin did my mother conceive me. A Christian is one the father draws to the son to believe. The wind blows where it wishes. To believe is a gift of God. Glory be to the father. Glory be to the son. Glory be to the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, will you draw us? Will you choose us? Father, we believe. Help our own belief. We pray. We pray all this for, for our good and for your glory. Amen.
Thank you. I thought the reading was wrong, long, but uh, 